track at the wall. We are tied. Look at this. He's landed for I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, drop with a big leg. Over for the cover. He got it. Unbelievable. He got it! The starter! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Now the 2-2. Two -two. Well hit down the left field line. Way back and Touch the ball, Drew! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Northside Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back to Dodie War, Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT, and joining me on the show, as always, is my friend Marcus. Marcus, how are you? Uh, depending on how this Chiefs game goes as we are recording, <laughs> <laughs> I may be doing pretty good or pretty bad by the end of this, but uh, for uh, right now, I'm doing all right. Your personal war is going to sink, I think. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I might, might be uh, below replacement level uh, as this goes on, but this for now, Monday. It's going to be below an average Monday, for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we got a big night ahead of us, because uh, here on episode three of this podcast series, we're already wrapping up our first season. It was a short season, because it was uh, early on, before there were a lot of pay-per-views. We did the 1994-95 season, and if you have not listened yet, I probably would recommend you at least go back and listen to the first 15 minutes of episode one, where you and I, Marcus, kind of did a thorough deep dive of the concept of this show, but just to really recap quickly, uh, what we're doing is we're looking at random Dodi seasons and, uh, you know, kind of a different slant on the way to look at pay-per-view years. We are going from basically post-mania till the next year's mania. We're considering that a full season in WWF e-history. We're then taking each pay-per-view card. We're going to run through the matches and give our grades as we watched all these shows. And then we're going to rank in a number of categories. Uh, we're going to give kind of a, a plus minus. So if you're familiar at all with like hockey uh, or basketball stats and metrics or what we're correlating to directly is wins above replacement, uh, where if you assume a replacement level, this kind of generic pay-per-view is kind of just an average deal. Uh, what we have here is each category will net out plus minus based on 
uh, different things that happen on the show. And once that final score nets out, that'll be where the pay-per-view finishes with a total score and how things rank out. So the categories we do are build, commentary, atmosphere, notable moments and importance, match grades, card, card structure, rewatchability, and then all-time matches. So as you'll see as we go through our next show, we'll kind of talk about each of those categories. We'll give them you know, points for plus, points for minus, whatever the net is, and we add all those up, and that's where the final output will rank the show. Anything I missed, Marcus, on that quick uh, rehash? Um, not necessarily anything that you missed, but I think something that we collectively missed uh, early on was, to quote one of my favorite movies, Mean Girls, the limit does not exist when we are talking about the final standing of these shows. So it's not necessarily like a blank out of 10 scale. Uh, we could have a show with a war, uh, you know, 20 or something, um, just throwing a number out there. Like, So I think that's important uh, to clarify, as a lot of podcasts with maybe a similar formula have, you know, a ceiling. We don't have a ceiling. Uh, the ceiling is the floor. Correct. So it could be, you know, we may see ones that eclipse 30, 40, right? War and some is low into the negative numbers. Um, and it's hard because I know when you think of like, uh, you know, maybe like a baseball player with war is kind of a zero as a net out. Like, I think we probably won't see too many pay-per-views dip below that. So there's going to be more above positive. So I, th I think as we go through this, we're going to start to naturally land on baselines, I guess. Right. Like what we so like for example like king of the ring 94 ended up at plus six five six point five i i would have thought of that as being a pretty average pay-per-view right so an average for us might end up being above that zero line so i think we're going to determine as we go kind of what that baseline for a pay-per-view is for us because i i think generally we're more positive as, as fans so like i don't think we're gonna have too many where we have the minuses outweighing the positive so much that we're dipping below so we may turn out to be like zero to 10 is low 15 is kind of a replacement and then above is hot right so i, I think we're just only going to find out as we move through multiple seasons and multiple pay-per-views right a lot of fluidity going on and uh yeah we'll just have to accumulate some more shows in here and kind of see where everything stacks up in ranks agreed uh so let's give our rankings really quickly from our first two episodes we covered the the first four shows of the season in fourth place was Royal Rumble 95 with a war of 5.5. Then King of the Ring 94 with a 6.5. Survivor Series 94 with a 7.75. And in the lead right now, the best pay-per-view uh, of all time, for, according to us to this point, is SummerSlam 1994 with a war of 9. Um, so that all said, we're going to dive into WrestleMania 11 in a moment. But I also want to let everyone know that at the end of this episode, since we only have one pay-per-view to cover to finish the season... We're also going to do our awards. So at the end of every season, we're going to do season ending awards. And that includes um, both the pay-per-view and also a lot of individual awards as well. So stuff like best worker, uh, you know, best individual performance, rookie of the year. So we'll go through what each of those mean as we go through them. But we're going to do that at the end of every season. So tonight we're going to cover WrestleMania 11 and they hit on our year end awards. Looking forward to it. All right. So why don't we go ahead and dive in then? And we are going to talk WrestleMania 11. It is uh, occurred on April 2nd, 1995 from Hartford, Connecticut and the Hartford Civic Center. Very unique setting for a WrestleMania. I'd argue probably I don't want to just say the worst because like I've been to the Hartford Civic Center and actually had a great time at uh, Money in the Bank a couple of years ago. 
And it, it, it's a city that's kind of built itself up. It's got a little charm to it. It's got a cool little downtown. So I don't, I don't want to take a dump on it. But when you look at WrestleMania cities, it's 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 probably the worst city a WrestleMania has been in, right? Yeah, this WrestleMania felt like it graduated college, like at WrestleMania 10. And it came back home and like was not ready for the real world. And so it, it had to move back in with mom and dad uh, in the basement. That's how I feel about this setting. <laughs> I mean, you could argue it's like maybe, I don't know if it's like the worst arena, like, well, I don't know, probably is, I guess, maybe, I guess, WrestleMania 2 uh, was at Long Island for the first uh, part of that, so Uniondale, so maybe yeah. that's the worst, but it's up there, anyway, um, and it depends, I guess, what you think about Trump Plaza, but it, as far as cities go, it's it's probably the lowest wrong city, um, or at least, like, kind of off the beaten path, smallest city of WrestleMania ever would go to, less, the least glitziest. I mean, do they even run house shows in, in Hartford? Like, is that, it's like a yeah. C-town. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty, no, it was, I'd call it an A-town, actually. Um, really? Okay. I, I think they ran, uh, maybe a B, B plus. Like, I think it's on par with, like, a Providence where they ran a ton. I mean, in the 80s, they were in Providence every month. Mm. I know they ran New Haven a bunch. Uh, but I'm I'm confident they ran Hartford a, a decent amount. And there's been other pay-per-views there, like Survivor Series 90 was there. Um, and they do Raws there and stuff. So I, I think it's... I wouldn't put it like, you know, bottom tier DODF town, but I don't know. It's probably like, I don't know. Above replacement level? Yeah, I don't know, like Fort Lauderdale, Columbus. Like somewhere like they run like a decent amount, but not like they're top tier cities. You know what I mean? But for Mania, Mania is different. Like if if Survivor Series 94 had been there, like you would probably not think anything of it, you know? Yeah, and just like the logic of they wanted to stay in the New York market, mm-hmm. um, and like I, I've you know been up and down that highway a ton, so like I at least understand that like okay, like Hartford to New York City, like what less than an hour and a half, uh, traffic depending to like get down. Yeah, I would say um, that's so like I understand it's technically kind of an extension of the New York City market, but like if you want to be in New York City, like why can't just be in New York City? Right. They probably didn't want to run two years in a row at MSG, I'm guessing. But I'm surprised they didn't just do the Meadowlands. Yes. Yeah, that's like, a great point. That probably would have just been fine. And you're right there. Because that was kind of the... Oh, New off. Jersey had the um the wrestling tax, right? Yeah, that was still there. They're, they're still on the boo-boo wh- list until... uh Was it Mary Todd Whitman? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mary Todd Lincoln, I think is what you're thinking of. Okay. <laughs> but Mary... Mary <laughs> Whoever that lady is, it's someone Although Mary Todd Whitman better put that rule in place in 1860. Who knows? But, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the last event in the Meadowlands, I guess, would have been, or a pay-per-view, would have been like SummerSlam 89, probably. I think so. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, yeah so I don't know where else. I mean, yeah, I guess that's probably, yeah. They could have done Boston. I mean, they had, Boston Garden was a big arena for them. So that could have been an option as well if they wanted to stay kind of local to the Northeast. Because, I mean, if you look at if you look at most of the shows in that year, like Rumble 94 or Savar Series 93 was Boston. Rumble 94 is Providence. WrestleMania 10 was New York. King of the Ring was Baltimore. Mm. You know, then they go to Chicago, which is still kind of in that not too far from their extended you know home. And then really outside of Savar Series in San Antonio, like they're back in Hartford. So, 
and I guess Miami, but they don't stray too far. No, they they stay close to home. Well, even King of the Ring 95 is Philly, and your house one is Syracuse. So, you know what I mean? Like, they don't, there's only a couple where they really venture out during this little kind of year and a half stretch, so. Uh, all right, so anyway, we're in we're in the Harvard Civic Center. Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Waller are our announcers. So kind of our, I'd say base announced team from 95 and 96, right? As far as pay-per-view goes. Yeah. Um, Jim Ross is uh, on the aisle assignment for the night. So yeah, King and, and Vince, they make a pretty decent team. And I would I would agree with that. Like they're pretty much a standard um Standard team going forward, a little bit of uh, Pat Summerall and uh, and uh, uh, John Madden vibes from the two. Like you know what to expect when you see them. What did you think of the giant uh, headphones that Jr. Warder in the aisle? <laughs> talk. Um, it it added to like, I guess the feeling of like we're live. And it made it different because I don't ever remember seeing the giant headphones at like any other show. So like for good or for bad, it stands out where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what they did at WrestleMania 11. I don't know why, though. They were having all kinds of audio issues, like where they couldn't hear each other and stuff. So I wonder if that they had to put those on because whatever was going on was causing those issues, maybe. That'd be a good explanation. Probably the only explanation. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just weird. Uh, all right, so like we'll get to in a moment too. This is obviously a very celebrity-heavy WrestleMania, probably the most celebrity-heavy since WrestleMania two, where I think they knew they kind of had a weak card. They knew they had a bit of a weak roster, so they really went hard on just bringing as many celebs as they could to try to, um, you know, really kind of capture the, I guess, just the casual eye that may not tune in otherwise. Yeah, trying to steal some headlines, I think, um, because they, aside from the main event, they don't really have that superstar versus superstar matchup on the card. So you got to dip into the bag of tricks and, and try to take some headlines where you can with uh, Nicholas Tesoro, diehard Yankees fan. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's and the funny course, thing is they go for celebs, but outside of a couple, they're really kind of like in the B and C list celebs, which, again, kind of tells you like where we are at this point in wrestling. But um, it was an interesting tact for sure. And I guess we'll talk about the card and see if there is a world or a path where maybe they could have mixed things up a little bit um, and done a little bit more. But they do get height of powers, um, Pam Anderson, and um, that that should be uh, commended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a big get for them, <clears throat> even though she looks pretty disinterested through most of it. I mean, even <laughs> Jenny McCarthy was a pretty big deal at this point too, right? Yeah. This is, uh, what's it called? Was uh, red hot uh, or is that was a uh, remote control? Was that what she was on? What was she on? Um, uh, shoot. Yep. I know the show. Can't think of the name though. I'm looking it up now. Uh, singled out, singled out, singled out. I remember it was in uh, remote control way pre Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. Um, yeah, single that was actually no, that hadn't even started yet. So, what the hell was she doing at that point? She's just being hot. Let's see. Oh, she was on, she was on Silk Stockings for an episode. Oh no, oh. Uh, single that started in '95. So I don't know when in '95 it was already up and running or not. But could be could be ramping up interest in that. Yeah, it says in '95 MTV chose McCarthy to co-host a dating show called Singled Out. 
Her job as a coach was a success. Playboy wanted her to do more modeling. The same year she appeared at WrestleMania 11. So maybe it was around the same time. And that's right. She was a Playboy and all that. So, um, so she was, uh, let's put it this way. She was like on the verge of breaking out. So for once they were actually kind of, kind of on the cutting edge, I guess, with her, um, where she'd go on to become a pretty big, well-known celebrity over the next couple of years. Quite to get. I would guess too that, um, <clears throat> I mean, I guess Jonathan Taylor Thomas is a pretty big star at this point too. Yeah. Right? Yep. This is, um, right before, I'll be home for Christmas a couple of years before. Like that's a pretty big Christmas movie. I know he's going to take off of uh home improvement pretty soon in the next couple seasons. So yeah, he's like, he's height of powers here. Uh, yeah. At least during, during his run. Milk money. Did that come out yet? When was that? Was that him? <laughs> I mean, home improvement started in 91. So yeah, I mean, this is like, this would have been right uh, season four and they were, ha- this is almost their peak. I mean, they had 33 yeah. million viewers. Um, they had 35 the year before. So these are their two peak seasons for sure. So yeah, he's, you might be able to argue he's the most popular celebrity right there on the show. <laughs> At least when you consider like the breadth of viewers watching each thing, uh, he had already done man of the house or at least he was about to, that was in 95, oh, March 3rd, 95. So that had just come out, man of okay. the house, not milk money. He was man of the house. I was thinking of, um, he had also done the voice of the lion King. So he was, yeah. I'll be home for Christmas was 98. So a little okay, ways away. he's a little ways away. All right. Ahead of myself. So he's, I mean, he's, he's up there for sure. Who else we got? Obviously Lawrence Taylor is a, you know, one of the most recognizable athletes at that time frame. So, you know, maybe, maybe they did okay. Actually, maybe the, the celebs weren't as low level as you would think looking at it. Yeah. And Totoro with NYPD blue, that was a pretty big show too. Right. Yeah, I mean, they were probably, God, that might have been the peak of that too, right? Yeah, I'm about to take back my comments here. So they started in 90, I think it was 93, it looks like. Okay, so they're ramping up. Yeah, so they started in 93, so this would have been the end of season two, you know, and they were getting 16 million people too. Yeah, remember that was like one of the racier shows. Like when right. NYPD Blue came on, like I had to leave the room. Right. Head to the bathroom. <laughs> head to bed. So the is that? I mean, that's that's pretty much all. All right. And so maybe it's A minus B plus. You know, like they did okay actually when you look at it. Maybe maybe uh, Major League Umpire uh, <laughs> Larry Young. <laughs> Larry Young drags him down a little bit. Well, they also had, I mean, Reggie White was like one of the biggest NFL stars at that point. Yeah, He's there. Ken Norton Jr. is a pretty big star. Carl Banks was really big in New York. Mongo was big. I mean, so, yeah. Oh, look, no, it, baby. Yeah, baby. So, <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, all right. I'm, I'm correcting that. So, we'll, we'll see how the plus minus if we need to bump it all. But I think the celebs are, Salt and Peppa, too. I mean, they were at their Oh, their peak. oh my gosh, yes. Huge. So... Yeah, I, I, you know, they did okay. This is actually a pretty loaded celebrity <laughs> class for one that it jumps out at you thinking the opposite. But man, the when you start breaking it down, it did okay. I like that there's more stars in a celebrity locker room than uh, <laughs> oh, easily in the wrestlers' locker room. Not even close. Uh, of course, there was also Special Olympian Kathy Huey saying "America the Beautiful." It was supposed to be the band Fishbone, 
who were uh, originally advertised, but then I don't know if they no-showed or bailed or what the fuck happened with them. But I'd love to get that story. Yeah, they're What's out. What's the story? Fishbone. Fishbone. Fishbowled their way out of the job, I'm guessing. So they're done. Uh, and it makes sense because the Special Olympics, the home of Special Olympics, was in Connecticut, and Dirty have played a big role with that. Like especially in '95, yeah. they they talked it up big time when they were coming off the steroid trial and trying to kind of rebuild their image. They really leaned in heavy on the Special Olympics stuff uh, in '95. So, uh, you know, it seemed like a it actually seemed like a better thing to do than fishbone. I think for the, <laughs> the national anthem. So definitely a better look. All right, let's go through these matches, Marcus. We'll give our grades um, as we dig in. So the opener, so the Allied Powers take on the Blue Brothers. And uh, I'm not going to lie, like I'm pretty Blue Brothered out with all these p- other podcasts I do. Like they're everywhere right now for me. Uh, you know, on ECW, uh, Extreme Three Way Dance, they're there as the Bruise Brothers. On TNA Never Dies, they're there uh, as the Harris Boys. You know, they're going to be creeping soon on Wrestling Warzone when we're off mm-hmm. hiatus, me and Chad. So, like, they're kind of everywhere in my life right now, way more than I like to admit. Uh, the Allied Powers had just formed pretty much on the doorstep of this. This is really one of the first times they team, and they already have the awesome mashup song. Uh, it, you know, and, and I thought it was a good team, like, even though it's it's probably a pretty good waste of resources. And I think this will be a common theme as we talk about this show. It's... Like they had the players, it's just a really gross misuse of them throughout this. And as cool as this is to see them as a team, like to me, you only do that here if you're going to put them against like another super team, right? Absolutely. Then it would make sense. But to just stick them as a team against the Blue Brothers, who had been around since like December and not really done much, it's kind of like, all right, well, I mean, a year ago, Luger was in the world title match. You know, Bulldog's coming off like a dominant Rumble performance, and this is kind of where we're at. And yeah, the, and, and I, on top of it, the match sucked. Like they botched <laughs> the finish. They have that spot where they power slam into each other. Like you know, it's like it's just like really sloppy. So I went one and a quarter. Uh, I don't know. What would you think of this? I I went uh, a star and three quarters. Um, but or one and th- one and three quarters. Excuse me. Um, but there is no, there's no ring general. And I think that's, I know Bulldog can be that guy, but he's not really that guy, um, right now. And yeah, it was just clunky in a bad way, like dangerous, dangerously clunky and, and just very mistimed and wrestling does not have to look perfect to me, but this, this was rough. And I feel sorry for you because the blue brothers are inevitable. They are everywhere. Uh, they are all-encompassing. Uh, they are omnipresent. Um, and we have them here, unfortunately. I do yeah. think that they were undefeated in, like, tag team action. So I think this was their first loss. Probably. That sounds right. But I do agree. Like, they don't feel like a super team. They're not a super team. And one thing that WWE does really well is super teams. So, like... Bulldog and Luger, yeah, that's awesome. What a huge tag team. But where are the stars on the opposite side? Well, and it's not like they're even um they're like there's a feud. It's not like the Blue Brothers beat up Bulldog on Raw and Luger made the save and this is why we're here. You know what I mean? Like if they wanted to get him over, like have him beat the shit out of those guys and like leave them laying or something and then set them up as being like a threat. Instead it just feels so lobbed together. And 
look, in no real world am I advocating to put Tatanka 95 on this on this card, but Luger and Tatanka, like, they had their blow-off. I think it was on either the 100th Raw um, or... No, 100th Raw was it? The, it was, like, some anniversary Raw that they had in February. Or... Um, yeah, I think it was the 100th. Or the Ma- March to Mania. I, it was one of those shows where they had the blow-off of Luger Tatanka in a cage. And then, again, it did not light the world on fire. But if you're going to do, like, a super team thing, why not just do, like, Tatanka on IRS? Like... Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. again. I don't want to advocate for Tatanka and IRS to be on another pay per view, but they're better than the Blue Brothers, and at least there's some heat and some sense of feud, right? Like maybe Luger Tatanka having that match, and IRS attacks, and Bulldog saves him, and he's like, "Let's put this to bed once and for all," and it's the official end of that feud. You know, at least that's like something besides this. Yeah, it at least wraps up the last, really like the last season of storytelling with like Luger versus the Million Dollar Corporation, whereas here right. like they fully have moved on and moved on to the blue brothers. And this is, I think one of the last matches that's just like kind of thrown together because it's WrestleMania and it's like, okay, we're going to take these stars versus these stars. And now this is a match with like no heat going into it because this is the last WrestleMania before we get into the nitro era. And I think once nitro comes in, it forces WWF to step up their game and you're going to see even matches the next year or the next season, as we'll see with like Stone Cold versus Savio Vega, uh, we're going to see lower tier matches have at least some sort of build built in. So this is kind of like the last of a dying breed of just star versus star for no reason. Hope it's an attraction and it's not. And I think, too, like, you know, we'll talk about kind of a rebooked version of this card. And I think there's a way to use both these guys in better in a better spot if you mix up some other stuff that we'll get to in a minute. So, all right. So that match, obviously, average of 1.5. Um, just to so basically, this is how we do our match grade. So Marcus, I each give a grade. We average it out. So average of 1.5. We consider a perfectly acceptable wrestling match to be a 2.5. So the war for each match will be how far it is from that baseline so this is a negative one because it's one full grade below what we consider to be a baseline good wrestling match solid i should say solid not good solid solid yeah two and a half is just like a solid average wrestling match grade toss so all right next up is razor ramon challenging jeff jarrett for the intercontinental title the title that jarrett uh, won from him back at the royal rumble uh, again, like pretty much in line with every other match they ever have. And I said it at that <laughs> on that podcast. I'll say it again. Uh, they're forever great for me. Wherever promotion they come across always seems to be two and three quarters. So, again, I, I thought this was fine. Uh, I, I, you know, probably, I guess the role match is probably a tick better, even though they're both the same grade. I do like Razor's blue tights here better than the bananas that he had at the Rumble. <laughs> uh, but we also get the shitty finish here, too. We get the non- Oh, uh, we get the DQ and then the kid comes out in his pajamas and he uh, he tries to save Razor and we kind of get a brawl and doesn't really go anywhere. They obviously didn't want to take the belt off Jarrett. They obviously didn't have anything else for Razor to do. So, again, you know, at a pay-per-view that has a tradition of great intercontinental title matches, this one's toward the bottom rung. And it's not by any doing of them it's just they were kind of not put in the best position to go out there and over deliver so again two and three quarters for me yeah you know exactly what to expect when these two are in the ring uh i think you might have cracked the science on that <laughs> you'll, you'll never see a bad match but you'll never see like a great match either um you know you'll see them a tick above replacement level 
Uh, but there's something to be said for that. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I went uh, two and three quarters as well. All right, so uh, obviously average two and three quarters, so that's a .25 war, so just above uh, kind of that replacement level, which is fine. So there is a rebooking I want to talk about, but let's get through this next match first, and that is The Undertaker, who's now in his, what, seven, eight, nine, fourth WrestleMania. He missed last year, WrestleMania 10, taking on King Kong Bundy. Uh, we've talked a lot this season about the foibles of Undertaker being saddled with the Million Dollar Corporation. Back at SummerSlam, we had one of uh, probably the worst matches we've talked about to date. That is Undertaker, Undertaker. Um, and then at Survivor Series, when he was dispatching Yokozuna, he got involved with IRS. He had a deal with IRS at the Rumble and another boring match. And then coming out of that, we have King Kong Bundy now being sicked on him by DiBiase. And again, just a real bad use of resources. Like Undertaker, like we've talked about, is super over. Maybe the most over face on the card at this point, um, along with Brett. And... You know, here we are, and you're using this big mega draw top face star to take on King Kong Bundy. I, I mean, like, he hasn't had a wrestling main event since 1987. He hasn't exactly set the world on fire since he's come back. I could see doing this maybe if they had done it at Survivor Series when Bundy had just come back. Mm. And he was kind of maybe believably hot. But, like, he's literally done nothing since he's come back. And now you microwave him up to take on Taker at Mania. And it goes exactly how you would think. It's like, arguably, maybe Taker's worst Mania match, probably. Um, depending on where you fall in the Shane McMahon Hell in a Cell. But, uh, I mean, it's up there. And, like, Larry Young is the ref, like you said. And he can't even lift him for the tombstone, so he just choke slams him. It's just, or not even choke slam, it's a clothesline. It's just no good. So I, I went one star. It, it seems like, on again, on a show where you're limited with resources you're wasting another big one. Yeah. And I think if you're not going to have the superstar versus superstar matchups at this WrestleMania, then the alternative is to spread out your superstars top to bottom. And so that's what they try to get away with here with undertaker. It doesn't work. I went one uh, score of one. Um, dreadful is, oh, <laughs> is, God. is I don't even know. I don't even know if that's a, uh, you know, if that's being too easy on them, this was, I don't know who thought this, like, um, if you're going to put these two in a match, like I want to see the monster trucks go boom. Right. And not the match that they go out there and have. It's plotting. It's, it's so boring. Bundy just doesn't have anything left. Like he's fine. If you want to use him as like a heavy to squash guys or whatever, but like sticking him out there for six, seven, eight minutes against undertaker in 1995 or WrestleMania is not the answer. The no, no. problem is the corporation really only has one really good worker and he's in the, in a main event tonight, right? <laughs> like outside of Bigelow, yeah. they're kind of hurting right now for workers. So, and you know, Taker Bigelow could have been actually pretty cool. Right. But he's obviously involved in something much bigger. So that is in a tough spot. I, I would have abandoned the DiBiase stuff by this point because I mean, it, it still doesn't fucking end because even here at the end, comma comes out. <laughs> would just debuted and steals the urn and like that's going to be another thing now with this fucking comma in the urn so like it's not going to end so when we return for the 95 96 season we'll see plenty of comma in the urn i'm sure it's a, um, a never-ending relay race with the object being the undertaker's urn it, it just continues to get passed and there's no end in sight so this is what I feel like we, we could have done. So 
I mean, and, and it was rumored, and I, I think it was like the Titan sinking book and all that stuff. Is that they were going to angle toward an Undertaker Razor Ramon match with Razor going heel. They had even like talked about the vignettes where Razor would Razor Edge take her to a grave or something like that. Like, like they had they had a a pretty good feud built, and Hall wanted Scott Hall wanted to do it, and they ended up not doing it. So if you do if you pull that trigger, and you go Ramon heel um and have him fight taker then that opens up bulldog or luger to be a challenger for jared's ic title which mm-hmm. makes that fresh and maybe you can give jared a win if he gets like a shady win over bulldog or something so maybe you do bulldog versus um so maybe you do bulldog versus jared dump the blues and just do the Luger Tatanka blow off. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, another possibility there, uh, going with Razor versus Undertaker, that frees up one, two, three kid. Mm-hmm. And you could do one, two, three kid versus Jarrett. And you can have the roadie get involved and and whatever whatever else you want to do there. But I think Jarrett and um one, two, three kid would have tore the house down, especially for an opener. Um I think we could be talking about like a low key WrestleMania classic between those two. Yeah, that could be one so, too. Um, and then you can still use the allied powers together and you could do Tatanka and Bundy or right. you could do Tatanka and IRS or you can have Bundy, you know, be the heavy on the outside or whatever. But like that is a little bit more than just the blue brothers and another razor versus Jarrett match that can't go anywhere and a Bundy taker match. Yeah, I mean it's um yeah, it, it is it, it it's a questionable decision for sure. Um all right, let's move along. So, next up we had the Smoking Guns defending their tag team titles against Yokozuna and Owen Hart. Yokozuna was a mystery partner. Uh Owen had talked about kind of again, this has been the theme of the season right trying to kind of mimic Brett and he kind of said he would do uh what Brett had, had you know, had done the year before and win a title and he was going to win his first title uh, and he was going to have a surprise partner. And he brings in the man that uh, Brett had feuded with that beat him at WrestleMania nine. And that's Yokozuna. The guns kind of been pretty milquetoast champions since they had won the belts the night after the rumble. And this ends up being kind of more of a moment than a match, but it's a really great moment. Like, and it's still a pretty good match too. And Yoko's presented as a beast and Owen's all over him. He loves him. And Yoko just smashes the guns and Owen gets the pin. He goes to set up the sharpshooter and kind of just laughs and then covers them and lays on him instead after Yoko squished him. Uh, and Owen Hart wins his first dirty F gold. So it's a really cool moment here. Um, and I, I went three stars on this again. I think it's a solid match and a great, great classic moment. Yeah, I went three stars, too. And you can see the crowd. This is before crowds start cheering the bad guys just to kind of, you know, be into themselves. Like, the crowd really popped for this moment because it was good. It was done really well. Uh, delivered on the surprise. The surprise of Yokozuna mattered. And Owen Hart pulled off the win in the most Owen Hart possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, a tremendous moment. So, three stars for me. Yeah, it's it's one of the the couple of highlights of the show for sure. Um, was you know and uh, with the gold, but again, I think there's another path to rebook something here that we'll get to in a moment. One other thing I'll just mention is one of the original rumors of this was that Chris Benoit was going to come in as Owen Hart's partner. Uh, I think he had had a couple trial matches earlier before this. That was the original plan. 
And I think they just pivoted off. Um, mainly, I think Benoit wanted to keep his deal with Japan. And uh, the, WCW would eventually allow him to do that. WDF didn't want to allow it. So I think that was part of it. And then I think part of it, too, was just like the name value of Yokozuna. But uh, that would have been interesting because I don't it's probably not as dramatic of a moment because I don't know how much they let Benoit open it up. Yeah, like you probably get better matches with Hart and uh, Benoit, but Yoko and Owen have the chemistry. And again, like that pop at WrestleMania for Yoko returning, like it's huge. Uh, that's just something that, you know, a rookie Chris Benoit, uh, as far as WWF is concerned, is not going to give you. Right. Yeah, agreed. And because even in WCW, I mean, he's he's going at it, right? Like, you know, he's... Um, they let him loose a little bit, and I just don't think WWF's doing it in that standpoint. But even in WCW, it took a little bit to get rolling anyway. So it's a rare case where I do think the Yoko Yoko call might have been better, even yeah. though the the kind of smarky fan in '95 would have said, "Well, Benoit and Owen Hart, like they were an awesome team." I just don't have faith that WWF would have let them open it up, um, especially look at say the other guys they bring in over the next year that don't even get that ability to, like Chris Candido and other guys, right? They, they stick in stupid gimmicks, so. Mm-hmm. All right, next up is Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund. And Bret's really been one of our, um, you know, Bret's been one of our big uh, MVPs of the year, of the season so far. And this seemed like a natural blow-off, like Backlund beat him at Survivor Series. Bret hasn't gotten his win back. So you would think coming in here, having an I quit match, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, and then you have Roddy Piper's against ref as, as well. So there's a lot of kind of lineage and back to WrestleMania 10, where he was the guest ref for Brett versus Yokozuna. So it seemed like a natural fan. It seemed like it was going to make a lot of sense. But man, again, I don't know if it's Brett with the boo-boo face, if it's Backlund, uh, just kind of hit the wall, you know, because he's kind of done at this point now already. So on a, a match that seemed like it made sense on paper, coming off a classic Survivor Series that you and I both loved, it definitely seems to fall apart here and end up being arguably potentially Bret Hart's worst WrestleMania match, at least until 2010. <laughs> yeah, this is as low as I'll probably ever go on a Bret match. I went to two and a quarter. Um, I don't know if it's a byproduct of like Bret just having like too many hot dog sticks in the fire here. Um, because like he's got stuff with Owen that is forever unfinished. And he's got a claim to, like, another world title match. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the door diesel's still open. And now, like, Yokozuna just came back. Uh, so, like, well, what's that situation? And it feels like Bob Backlund is, like, the shortest of the straws. And it just feels out of gas. And I know, like, it is good booking to go from Survivor Series all, to the, all the way to WrestleMania. But... Just by this point, it feels out of gas. It definitely does. And I guess it part of it, too, is just the low stakes. You know, it's like it feels like um, what's what's on the line? Like, I guess Brett's revenge, but it, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like because they yeah. haven't really crossed paths at all since then either. So it's kind of. What's there? It's like they haven't feuded since back when beat them. Brett's been tied up with Diesel. Then he was back with Owen. So we haven't had a lot. We just haven't had a lot in there since then. Yeah, and that's, I don't know if you want to call it a flaw, but the Hitman character is dependent on being in the world title picture because he is 
clearly the best, uh, or at least among the best. I'll, uh, you know, I'll open the door for some discussion there. But uh, the Hitman is the best, or is the best, or was the best, or ever will be. So when he's not involved in the title pitcher, you better really have some some stakes built in there, like you know, a red hot blood feud, um, like with Jerry Lawler's. We'll see uh, in a different season. Um, or you better have the title involved, and and right. neither neither is there. So two and a quarter for me, unfortunately. Love yeah, you, I think I think we really needed um, something like that to your point to really pull them up. So, um, so that said, this is where my next rebooking idea would come in. Uh, given Owen Hart was trying to do and match what Bret Hart had done. And given that you had just had their blow off on Action Zone of all places in the no holds barred match, it was really, really good. I would posit that Owen Hart does double duty on this card and you dump Backlund off of here. Or maybe you stick him with Luger or Bulldog or whatever, you know, if you're breaking that other matchup, right? And you have Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in their blow off in the no holds barred match and Owen and his mystery partner against the guns. So Owen says, I'm going to do what Brett did a year ago. I'm going to win gold. And then I'm going to beat my brother again. And like so Brett did double duty, fought Owen and won gold. And Owen says, I'm going to win gold and beat Brett. Yeah, but you I have think Brett beat him, right? So Owen wins the tag titles, but then he loses to Brett. So or he loses to Brett first. However you want to do it, where it mirrors WrestleMania 10. So maybe he loses to Brett in the opener. And suddenly that's your opener like a year ago. Brett versus Owen, no holds barred. And then you have Owen and and bring out Yoko and say, well, screw you. <laughs> like, yeah, you might have beaten me, but I'm going to win the gold and I'm going to bring in your nemesis to do it. Right. So now you're beefing up this card all of a sudden. If you're looking at Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, Owen Hart and Yoko versus the Guns, Undertaker versus Razor Ramon, Jeff Jarrett versus, you know, whatever, either Kid or Luger or Bulldog. Maybe Backlund versus Luger, and if you do Bulldog versus Jarrett, like now your card is opening up a little bit more. You're still spreading out your stars, but you're delivering matches. You're leveraging a guy like Owen Hart, who's a workhorse that can do two matches and deliver that. And you still get your cool moment with him winning the tag titles. So, like, I think there's a lot to like there. Yeah, like this is rebooking without really changing the course of history too much. Like, this is all tangible stuff that was there, and they just decided not to go with it. But yeah, I think I think the revision, the reimagined card is far stronger than what we got. And with like Hart and Backlund, um, if you instead do Hart versus Hart again, uh, you can still keep Roddy Piper because Piper was the ref for Yoko and Brett. And you can still have him be there and you can still trot out Backlund if you want to or, or whoever else. And, you know, they can eat a punch or a sleeper hold or whatever for, from Piper um, in a nice moment there to, you know, get Hot Rod some action. So there's plenty on the table and it just, it's frustrating that like they don't go for it. It's an odd choice. It's an odd choice for sure. Um, and, and you could have had those, those other options in play. Like you said, but he does All see right. the light diesel versus Shawn Michaels. I'm going to go quick on this one. Cause I, I think you need the time. Uh, oh, should we just say, so I went to, you went to in a quarter that nets out to a, a negative uh, quarter star for war. On Brett Backlund, which is, again, probably going to be Brett's worst Mania match, I would think. Um, Diesel versus Shawn Michaels for the World Heavyweight title. Shawn Michaels had won the uh, Royal Rumble to earn this shot against his former bodyguard. And, uh, you know, I I know this is, there's a lot that goes into this, right? So Michaels have brought Sid back 
in a really cool moment of Raw where he, he comes in as his bodyguard and <laughs> Sid is very unhinged. Uh, this match has always had its, uh, you know, critiques, right? I think there are some that really like it. I've seen some have it pretty high. I've always kind of been in the it's like very good camp, uh, but it, it does have its notable flaws, right? Like Sean's overselling, Sean doing the rotation on the jackknife and kind of sandbagging Diesel, which has been talked about quite a bit. Um, so there are some weird ticks by Sean here in a match that should have been his crowning moment in many ways. Uh, that again, on a card that desperately needed a like stunner match to carry it under delivers. And it, it ends up being the tipping point for Diesel's title reign in some ways, where to this point he had been booked pretty well, had looked good. And then after this, it, things kind of go in a weird direction. And part of it is Sean turning face, overshadowing him um, in the way they end up presenting Diesel. So I went three and a half because I still really like the match, but. You are in a very different place, Marcus, so I'd like your rationale around that. Now, just to be clear, I went two and a quarter on Brett, just to prove that I can be fair mm-hmm. and call a spade a spade. So for me, uh, this is is uh, one and three quarters, and that is because I think once, at least for me, once you start getting into the ones, you're treading on that line of like business exposing. And if not for the sheer athleticism that Shawn Michaels has in 1995, like this would be just complete business exposing. And the fact that all those things are there that you mentioned, the sandbagging, the purposeful over rotation on the jackknife, uh, the hissy fit on the outside because of the photographers. I'm sorry. The world wants to be here while uh, business is in the tube to, to come see you and diesel in the championship match. And you're mad that there is actual photographers at ringside um, the pace that he tries, you know, to bump Diesel around with in the beginning, just it's it's like the exact opposite of what Randy Savage did for Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania Five. You had the chance here to put on a great performance and to crown the guy, and to be in a great position moving forward. And instead, you go out there and you expose the business, you expose the guy you're working with. Not against the guy you're working with. And in return, uh, you know, I guess you get what you want a year later. But um, that was not the job on this night. And I think they went out there and completely failed as a result. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you on any of that. I just think the match is still pretty good uh <laughs> to watch so outside of the goals and and from your p- point of view which obviously is going to differ a bit i think on 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 a couple levels um yeah sid would never pull this <laughs> well it I, I do give a little credit to it because the post-match interview with sean and sid um is awesome and that's it's because of sid i've never <laughs> seen a man so mad about something that didn't affect him really like like he is he is like, are you an office guy? You watch the office? Like, you know, I, I, well don't, I don't, I I know the characters, but I don't watch. Right. Well, there's this one episode where, uh, it's after Roy and Pam are kind of getting back together a little bit after they had called off the wedding and they go to a bar and Roy and Pam goes with him and they're kind of getting, they're hitting it off again. And Roy didn't want to go to the bar because his brother had to sell these, his jet skis, um, because he needed money and ended up taking a bath on the jet skis and like barely making what he needed to break even. So he's already pissed and they go to the bar and uh, Pam tells 
Roy, she's like, you know, if we're going to restart things, I want to be honest with you. I, you know, Jim kissed me. And basically, like, that's why she called off the wedding. And Roy fucking snaps. And, like, Pam runs away and, like, leaves the bar. And it's kind of the end of them. And Roy starts, like, breaking shit in the bar. And his brother is just mad about the boats. But he, like, feeds off of Roy's angry energy. And it starts, like... <laughs> They just destroy this, but they start throwing glasses at the mirror, like, and they and they end up having to spend the rest of the jet ski money to repay the guy so they don't press charges. <laughs> but the the anger of the brother goes from like zero to a hundred within like two minutes. You know, what I mean, like not even like, like it's like within two seconds. And and that's reminded me of Sid. It's like Sean is so mad about this, and Sid like feeds off that anger and just loses his fucking mind <laughs> and just cuts this insane promo. Um, about Sean getting screwed. It's just so good. It's like it's like a forgotten Sid great moment. It's also a very logical promo by Sid too. <laughs> like I forget everything that he says, the complete context, but I do remember that like he makes sense. It's like, oh, I think he, I think Sid has a case here. Yeah, I mean it's a logical heel promo for sure. Um, it's it's a good promo. So I'll give a little bump for this for that. Uh, you also get Sid pulling out the pocket knife at ringside. <laughs> Which is a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> because he cuts the turbuckle pad off. Um, I think he's the only other guy to pull a knife since, uh, other than that, it's a big Al a couple years later on Nitro, whatever the f- pay per view was it a pay per view? But he's fighting uh, not Big Abbott. Al. Is that the guy's name? Tank Abbott. Abbott. Or Tank pulls Abbott pulls out the knife, right? On Big Al. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but this, that's the only other time it happens. Um, so Sid does add a lot to me for this match. I also do like the photographer ringside. I think it's like a nice, nice touch and stuff. So um, it gives it the big match feel that it is desperately missing. Yeah, I agree for for a, a pretty bland mania. So, uh, all right, we we spent a lot of time breaking this card. Let's get to the main event: Lawrence Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow. Really well regarded as one of the best celebrity matches uh, in in company history, and it was one where Lawrence Taylor was obviously a big name in sports, a really big name locally in New York. They did a good job with the build. I mean, they started it at the Rumble when Bigelow shoved LT because he was pissed, and it, it kind of evolved uh, from there, where Bigelow, you know, kind of refused to apologize, and they went back and forth. Then they had the public workout. Uh, where, uh, you know, they did Bigelow and LT in the ring in Times Square. So they did a really nice job. And Bigelow, of course, was going to have the Million Dollar Corporation in his corner. So LT brings his all-pro team. So they bring all the football players. You got Salt and Peppa saying, what a man to bring LT out. So, like, all of it was really, really well executed and well done. And LT, you know, took it seriously. He worked hard. Bigelow does a pro's pro's job. And, you know, works a great match with him and puts him over clean. And he took a lot of shit for it, but I'm sure he got the biggest payday of his life for this match. So uh, ends up delivering for sure. I went three and a quarter, which on the celebrity match scale may as well be a 10. Yeah, they knocked it out of the park. Uh, This is a match that kind of like appreciated over time for me. I was always like a little bit lower on this. And then the more I watch it, the more I like it. So I went three and a half. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, LT knocks out of the park. Like, he comes ready to work, and Bam Bam gives him this beautiful match. Uh, really takes care of him. Doesn't show him up. Uh, makes him look like the star. Huh. But three and a half for me. It, it, it's really enjoyable. And all of the, um, like, I, I want to call, call them lumberjacks, but, like, the, the NFL guys and, and the Million Dollar Corporation on the outside, like, that was a nice touch, too. What do you think of it from a Bigelow perspective? Was it smart to do this career-wise, oh. take the payday in the moment, or 
Do you think laying down for Taylor Clean was a detriment long term? No. Um, I think his goose was going to be cooked either way. Like, I don't see a universe where Bam Bam Bigelow is WWF champion when you have Bret Hart, Undertaker, returning Yokozuna, Shawn Michaels. Like, I can go on and on. Like, Bigelow. Well, and the me. click issues, too, right? I mean, it, he's, right. He's running into that. So, right. So, like, e- even eliminating like the click issues, Bam Bam is maybe 10th on my list in 1995 of like potential main eventers slash world champions. So I think he did the right thing here to, uh, at least to me, like, and I know they, they give him the make good. They kind of have him be the, uh, the Hercules to, uh, diesel and Sean's savage and Hogan. Like he's kind of the unofficial third mega power, um, (laughs) next season. And we'll get to that later, but, um, I don't know. Bankrupt and broke. <laughs> he he did the he did the right thing, and it's like a good cap, I think, to this run of Bam Bam Bigelow. Like he's done as a heel. He mm-hmm. took a big loss, but he did it on the biggest possible stage. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna do it, this is the way to go about it. Yeah. Like, and honestly, without the click, I I don't think he fades. Like I I think the big you know and we'll get into this next when we come back to 95 96 eventually but I think the big mistake with him was not milking the heel the face turn more like he didn't have to turn as quick as he did I I think they could have gotten a Diesel Bigelow match out of this on pay per view mm-hmm. that then leads to it where DiBiase costs him or finally is done with him after he loses again like I think there's a way to extend that and and buy you some time in 95 where maybe that's your main event at King of the Ring and save Sid. You know what I mean? Like, there's ways you could have backed things up a little bit and, and built towards stuff. Yeah, I know they, they do that match on Raw, which I think is pretty good between Bigelow and Diesel. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, they, they probably should have pushed that off till King of the Ring or one of the in-your-houses um, as opposed to turn right to Sid. But hard to resist Sid, too, like, <laughs> especially after that great promo, like Sid's back and ready to work. Let's let's strap up Sid. Right. I mean, it was clear they they wanted to jump to that. But you could have even still done that with Bigelow both being the corporation and they kind of tug and pull who gets the title. shot. Like, I just think that was part of it where they could have played that out a little bit more and gotten some more length out of it mm. and then turn. But either way, once he ran to follow the click like that was it, like he was yeah. going to survive. So. All right, so uh, our average grade three three seven three point three seven five, which rounded up gives it a full one point for war, uh, but ends up being a tough card overall because from a match perspective, we're at negative point seven five war on match grades. So as we get to our overall plus minus, we'll keep that in mind. We'll talk about it in a minute. All right, so that's the card, which was at the mania. So we'll spend a little extra time on it, but we really dove deep, <laughs> Marcus, on our mania eleven there. Uh, all right, let's talk. Our build. So for pluses, we gave a point for Diesel Sean's build, which again was really good. I mean, it's over a year in the making, really, since they became bodyguard and mm-hmm. slowly became tag partners and Sean's jealousy and the tag split and everything else. So really good build. Uh, Sid's, Sid's arrival in the build uh, was a big part of it. We gave two points for LT Bigelow because this has been excellent build. And then you layer in the eyeballs that LT is bringing in. You know, we talked about it, kicked off at the Rumble, was really playing out every week on on TV. Uh, it elevated Bigelow up the card. So there was a lot of good. Uh, we gave a point for the build of the celebrities, which was pretty well done with all, you know, the way they revealed them all and used them throughout the card. Plus Pamela Anderson being, you know, layered in on multiple pay-per-views. 
and then the Owen Hart mystery partner, which was which was well done too. So that was uh, what one, two, three, four, five, six positives on the builds. Do you have any negatives? Yeah, I think the negatives uh, that ding this are Brett Backlund being completely out of gas, as we mentioned, um, and like they're just operating on fumes trying to to get to a match here and. The stuff with Taker and DiBiase and the Million Dollar Corporation, um, it's already past its expiration point, <laughs> and we know we're going to get a lot more of it as uh, we pick up in the next season. In uh, well, not next, but uh, when we eventually do the do the following season. So, uh, those are the two uh, takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those both stand out. Obviously, we've beaten the Dave DiBiase Taker stuff to death. We know how bad that was, and Brett Backlund having no real build when there was a story on the table for them to hit um seems like a big whiff to me so uh so with only two uh minuses in the build and you know what though i don't know as we're talking through should we layer in a we pile on the lack of luger bulldog build or what do you think uh yeah let's ding it i mean you do have a big star in luger and you have a big returning star in uh and british bulldog and you should have something better for them than just kind of a thrown together match between the uh, the Blue Brothers, Nazis and all, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, um, yeah. This is not much, not much there to get super excited about. Um, okay. All right. Uh, commentary. Uh, not a lot. I mean, it's a pretty basic outing for Vincent King. So uh, we gave a point for LT Bigelow, which I thought they were really good during. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Anything else? Yeah, like we mentioned that they're very baseline. Like they are kind of like the replacement level bar. So I think just the one for LT and Bigelow hype, I think that covers it because Vince and King aren't really like bad, but they're also not going to blow you away either. They're just very replacement level. Yep. And that's where we pretty much end up with the no negatives, like you said. So that's so a one for them. They get the, the credit for being really good in the celebrity match but not much else all right atmosphere uh we gave a point for celebrities you know it adds a cool vibe to the whole show you know they integrate them well like on the, again on the surface it seemed like they're overkill but i thought they they mixed them in fine like they don't ever really overshadow uh, but they are a big part of the proceedings throughout the card you got you know pam and jenny mccarthy obviously very you know heavily involved in the title match everyone at ringside in the big lt but that's fine you kind of want to beef that up and then you just kind of get the other stuff backstage. So I thought they did a good job there. And I do like the media ringside. I think that really adds a lot to the atmosphere. Like, it seems really cool um, vibe. It's not something you really have at any other major show like this uh, from a Dirty F perspective. No, I agree with you. Um, but the the negatives or the take the uh, the dingers, if you will, uh, the Hartford crowd and Hartford itself. Uh, sorry, hate to, hate to ding your uh, stomping grounds, but... Hartford is not what I would consider to be a WrestleMania city. And the crowd are just kind of so-so overall. Uh, it's one of those ones where it's hard to blame them, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get up for this mania, but still, they could have maybe carried it, you know, if they were, like, super into it. Yeah, they weren't given much, and they also didn't give back much either. And it just overall kind of resulted in a, a lack of a WrestleMania vibe. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. You take the banner away, and I mean, I guess the celebs help, but it's just. I mean, I, I don't. I I think it's one of the most 
accepted opinions that this mania just doesn't really feel like a mania. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't need to be saved. All right, so that's a one, uh, I'm sorry, negative one to net out there. Uh, all right, notable moments of porn. So there's a decent little chunk here. We have Lawrence Taylor, obviously. Just everything about his appearance there is, is notable. It's memorable. Uh, Saul and Peppa do a great job with the song, even though it's not on Peacock, right? Then you kind of need the original version to see it. But they do a really good job singing What a Man um, and, and hyping that up. It's a big deal to have them there. Yoko and Owen, obviously a very memorable moment. Owen Hart wins his first gold. Uh, Sid's promo, which was amazing. Mongo was great, too, in his promo. And they did the all-time <laughs> team. So we give them the point there. Uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas playing chess with Bob Backlund is a pretty memorable uh, scene from this from this mania. Everyone remembers that with them. You know, he's asking about the presidents and whatever else. He's basically the trivia, and JTT is answering everything he's asking. And then Diesel with the babes at the end with uh, Pam and Jenny standing in the ring is a pretty memorable scene. So uh, a decent amount of notable moments for such a weak card. Yeah, and I felt like Diesel with the ladies and with a uh, Totoro in there as well. Like that was the shot you wanted to get from it, from this WrestleMania. Like mm-hmm. that was the one that was going to be on sports center and, and in the New York times, whatever else, like that was going to be the photo takeaway from their WrestleMania. So you got to the big shot and I don't know, like I'm also really sad. We're not going to be able to cover any Mongo <laughs> as we go along. Um, I guess turn over war zone, baby. <laughs> Yeah, got to head over to Warzone for the premium Mongo content. But on the minus side, we've got a really, really bad performance by Roddy Piper. Uh, yeah, we didn't really get into that too much. But, I mean, he really does not help at all on that. Uh, Brett Backlund, which already suffered enough. But what him do you yelling, say? What do you say? The whole time is just, you know, awful. It's just grating. Yeah, it's a it's a huge takeaway. You should be fortunate. We only uh, did minus one for that. Um, they kind of kill off the Bob Backlund character, uh, and it doesn't really feel like a grand send off. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he's kind of written off, uh, he does see the light and, <laughs> and stumbles to the back. Um, the weak finish to the Intercontinental Title match, like you mentioned, the Intercontinental Title always held in reverence at WrestleMania, and this is one of the first times. Uh, you know, maybe WrestleMania nine as well, but. This one's notable for, for a pretty weak ending. Uh, we've got a terrible Undertaker match. We've got Sean completely sandbagging the entire World Wrestling Federation title match. And we've also got a really bad open. Mm-hmm. So, sadly, all the good moments are pretty much canceled out. Just a war of one there. Uh, we already did our match grades. That was negative 0.75. Card structure... You know, it's got a star-powered main event with LT. It delivers as a celebrity moment in a match. Given how the title match was, I think it was the right call to make LT main event and not the world title on this go-around, given how things were going to go. So it made sense there. And then also, um, it's a tight card. It's only seven matches. It hums along. And the structure itself of the card is about what you'd want to do. It's just the match choices were, were not the best, right? But the way they built the card up, kind of building to the two big matches made a lot of sense. So two plus two there. Comparing it to another frowned upon WrestleMania, like WrestleMania 32, um, this show never hits that screeching halt. Um, It does move along pretty quickly compared Mm -hmm. to some other WrestleManias that tend to linger. Um, And the only dings we have are, again, uh, really bad open 
and the excessive or the heavy reliance on the celebrities, not necessarily that the celebrities did a bad job, but right. it's clearly an attempt to make up for the lack of star power and the lack of card structure uh, with those stars. Yep. All right. So that all cancels out. So we had two each on each side. So no points there. Rewatchability, uh, a fun main event. Obviously, that's pretty easy to rewatch at any time. And then it's a short card. Uh, I mean, if you're going to not have big matches and you're going to kind of use your resources this way, at least at least don't make it three and a half hours dragged out. Like it's a tight show. They hum along and move through it. It's I think it's like 240 long, which, again, outside of WrestleMania one, like maybe the shortest media of all time. Uh, I'd have to look back at like some of the times of like maybe nine. But I know like those middle like five, four, five, six, seven are obviously all really long. So mm-hmm. Uh, this this is probably up there as a contender for one of the shortest manias ever. So uh, that to me, that's a point in this regard. And if you listen to me and Aaron on either Noel's Bar and I went to the Rumble, like him and I, him and I favor um, brevity and, and shortness when it comes to bad things. Like I'd rather have uh, I'll, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to something that's kept quick if it's bad versus something that's dragged out. Right. So to me, if you're going to have kind of a bad mania, I'd rather have be 245 than four hours. WrestleMania 32. Uh, so to me, that that's a point. Yeah, I, and I can co-sign with that thinking. Um, but as far as minuses, we've got an all-time bad mania. We've got uh, no all-time matches, a disappointing world title match, another bad Undertaker match, a pretty soft card, and a really bad Brett match, uh, mm-hmm. given his, you know, where the bar is set for him. Especially in this season. Again, like, where this card hits the dirt, like, instead of, you know, rising up, is that your best workers didn't deliver when needed. So Brett and Sean needed to be the bell cows of the show. And they're not the Sean match disappoints to, mm-hmm. you know, some level, <laughs> the yours or mine and the Brett match disappoints. So, and then your other stars are mismanaged in Bulldog, Luger, Razor, Jarrett. Like, so you have the guys, it's just not, not managed well. And as a result, you know, you're failing, but at the very end of saying that on this card, if Sean Diesel over delivers and Brett Backlund puts on even something close to Survivor Series, like this card is looked at completely differently. So to me, that that's why that the Brett and Sean match was hurt the most. Yeah, just like, again, a tick up in the match quality and this could feel completely different. And I think as like evidence to that, if you look at maybe like a guy the next level below those two with Owen. Owens moment and match does deliver yes. and like it's a real big like bright point of the show so like I think that just kind of lends to the fact that like if Brett and Sean deliver on this card this card is reviewed like or at least feel like the feeling of it but is, over completely different yeah yeah you're talking all takers Bundy sucked but hey the rest is pretty good you know what I mean like it's yeah. you're looking at it that way right so you needed those two matches to really crush it for this to be looked at better. Um, so that's, that, that's where it falls apart. So that's negative four, um, for rewatchability, which is probably what you would have guessed. Uh, no points awarded for all time matches on either side for an all time. Great match. to get a point. It's going to be, both of us have to be at least four and a quarter. And on the other end, both of us have to be at three quarter stars or lower to get a point for all time. Worst match. So all zeros there that nets out to our first overall negative pay-per-view which was adjusted when we added the allied powers we are now at negative 0.75 as an overall score for this event marcus so it easily checks in for us as the worst pay-per-view of the season and the worst pay-per-views to date 
Yeah, we trust. Um, not surprised. I mean, this is this is revered as a bad show, and I feel a little bit better in our science and our formula with what we have cooking here because um, I do feel like it's pretty effective in like taking a show like this, which is revered as bad, and breaking down. Okay, well, why is it bad, and why is it good? Um, but overall, it's below replacement level. Yep, and that feels right. All right. <clears throat> Okay, so that is uh, the full season, uh, and in a moment we'll get to our year-end awards, but really, really quickly just want to talk about uh, North-South Connection. Appreciate if you're listening to the show, and if you uh, you know share the word, spread the word, and subscribe. Have others subscribe, leave us a rating and a review on any podcatcher app. We have content dropping most days throughout the week. A lot of it is evergreen content, like shows like this, where you can check in at any time, and then just kind of catch up and listen, whether it's tracking uh, you know, vintage ECW, Crazy Years of TNA, uh, the ruthless aggression era of WWE, or just like concepts like this, or No Holds Barred, where Aaron George and I are kind of doing a lot of list-based stuff. Once a month, we're actually ranking every WWE World Heavyweight Title change. Uh, we're into the, uh, we're about to start 1990s on that, and uh, also now entering the Rumble, we're we're breaking down and ranking every single Royal Rumble entrance performance of all time. So there's a lot of cool concept shows. We have some non-wrestling stuff. We have our 90210 Chronological Watch podcast. We have uh, This Week in the NFL. We have Squared Circle, The Silver Screen, which looks at movies starring wrestlers or about wrestling. So just lots of lots of unique content that we're super, super proud of. Um, you know, at this moment, you know, one of our biggest shows, Wrestling Warzone, is on hiatus. That's me and Chad Campbell going through the Monday Night Wars. It'll be back probably likely in the new year. Um, and also TNA Never Dies on a bit of a hiatus as well. But the cool thing is, as those shows kind of take a breather, like other shows are stepping in and stepping up, which I'm I'm really, really proud of uh, how everyone just leans in and continues to churn out the great content. So uh, check it out. North South Connection. Share the word. If this is your first time listening, subscribe. Uh, appreciate all the love that everyone gives and all the, uh, you know, shares and checking out. So. Yeah. And I, I uh, listened to the No Holds Barred where you and Aaron broke down um, Superstar Billy Graham's title win and mm-hmm. loss and i found that to be like really just fascinating audio you guys really did well with that and just hearing like where the company was in you know the late 70s and where they're going to be just a few years later in the mid 80s and like superstar billy graham just came like a little bit too soon to be that guy mm-hmm. um and also had vince senior running things as opposed to vince mcmahon um yeah it's just overall fascinating listen um want to give you a special shout out for that thank you no, that's been an awesome project. It's been a lot of fun uh, so far. So it is, we're hitting every title change. We started with Bruno and Buddy Rogers. And every, t- every title change, we're digging in and we are um, breaking down on uh, a, a different categories and metrics to rank them all. So uh, I, I honestly thought our episode breaking down uh, Hogan and Andre and Hogan and Sheik was like some of our best work um, as a team, me and Aaron. So I really enjoyed doing that one. And the episode uh, breaking down Savage, I think, uh, will be well regarded as well. So it's Savage, DiBiase, and Savage Hogan. So check those out. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's get to our year-end awards, Marcus, before we wrap up this season. Uh, so we have 
uh, a decent amount of awards we're going to get through. Some are individualized, some are looking at the year as a whole. And of course, given the uh, theme of our podcast, these also have a baseball type award slant to them as well. So we'll dig into that. Uh, all right. Our MVP of the year. Um, we're going to kind of go eye test on this, right? It, it's who did we enjoy the most? Who made these shows watchable? Who is this the best performer that we really enjoyed seeing pay-per-view to pay-per-view? And in our discussions, we both agreed on one man. Brett, the hitman heart. If you look at King of the Ring with Diesel, SummerSlam with Owen, Survivor Series with Backlund, Rumble with Diesel, you know, Mania sucked, but he hit on four out of five as pretty much having match of the night on all of those. Yeah, and I mean, all four of those huge hits, like they really hit it out of the park. Um, and the Backlund one, like, yeah, it was bad, but again, like, it it wasn't um it wasn't like a one time you know like it wasn't all time bad it was just oh that's you know not as good as we expected so uh just just using the eye test um this is really Bret Hart's season. All right, so then we have the Silver Slugger Award, which you know in baseball MVP is kind of the the heart and soul award, right? It's kind of the the gut instinct, but then Silver Slugger is basically like who was the best hitter, right? Like forgetting the rest. So for our Silver Slugger Award, we're gonna go solely on match scores. Uh, and again, Bret Hart wins there. So he had an average match score of 3.75. And that's with that stinker mania. So that kind of tells you how good his other stuff was. So from a pure hit rate, the hit man is our silver slugger. Take it home the hardware. He's racking it up in this season. <laughs> All right. Our uh, Vin Scully Award. So this honors the best announced team that we heard on pay-per-view. Uh, would you like to reveal this one? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and maybe a bit of a surprise we have from King of the Ring 1994, the team of Gorilla Monsoon, Macho Man Randy Savage, and good old Art Donovan. So, I mean, three of the five were Vince and Lawler, who are, you know, they're fine, right? But not going to knock knock the socks off. And then we did like Vince and Gorilla quite a bit of Survivor Series. But to me, Gorilla, Savage, and Art stand above. Like, it's super memorable. Ever remembers Art Donovan. Savage is great as always on that show. There's some really funny moments. Like it, they just clicked. And uh, it, to me, it's like, how do you go against it? I, and I think they've, they've turned around. Like it, it's one of those things that everyone always mocked and now have looked back and actually enjoyed looking back historically. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it adds to the charm of the show in the Charm City. Uh, so yeah, you know, have some fun with it and give it to uh, give it to that team. And I think had Survivor Series '94 had Randy Savage with monsoon and vince then we could be looking at a tighter race but um as far as commentary for the year this team stood out all right our mendoza award so this was the lowest hit rate for match grades um and you know i i forget do we have a minimum do we say like at least two matches or at least x out of how many right so there's only five pay-per-views i think we wanted someone at least on two yeah uh, as the yeah. pay-per-views increase we'll, we might raise that up a little bit so we'll come up with a percentage probably I don't know, maybe like a quarter, quarter of the pay-per-view, something like that we'll come up with probably. Um, but this one was obviously pretty clearly and easily the uh, the Undertaker. So uh, 1.1 uh, was his average match score. And not much to say there. Um, the performance speaks for itself. I mean, to be on four pay-per-views and have an average match grade of 1.1 <laughs> it's pretty bad <laughs> and he may have ended two of those yeah like and like this is also like this is 
return of The Undertaker. Like, this is uh-huh. him coming back from his first break, and this is what we get. Like, we get get some stinkers, some all-time stinkers at that. It's not even, like... And it's hard. It's not even his fault, in a way, you know? Yeah. Like, he's stuck with bums, but it's like, you know, it's what it is. Imagine, um, like, rushing back from the back injury that he had, and, like, <laughs> he gets to work King Kong Bundy. <laughs> I guess we at least got the main event of SummerSlam payoff, but yeah. All right. So obviously LVP is going to be the Undertaker. I mean, his matches were just dreadful to sit through the Taker main event of SummerSlam, the IRS bore fest, this Bundy shit show. I mean, when his best match is Yoko with the caskets tells you where we're at. So, uh, so him and Brett clean up on respective sides of the coin. Yeah. And we did have some, some more discussion as far as LVP went, because I know IRS's name was thrown out there, but the weight given to Undertaker's matches, I think, weighs a lot more than IRS's weight to his matches. Like, right. we count on the Undertaker a lot more mm-hmm. than we do IRS. And so that's why he's taken home the LVP along with the Mentoso Award. Yeah, and, and and he's put in a position in main event. Like, IRS wasn't closing major shows, you know. Like, Taker's closing SummerSlam and Survivor Series in this spot, so... All right, best singular performance. Uh, we went with Owen Hart at King of the Ring 94, wrestled the three matches, had the really memorable ceremony with the crown. Uh, I, I think on a pay-per-view rate level, he had the best kind of night. I think Brett, you could really argue Brett at like SummerSlam would be up there, but Owen was great at SummerSlam too. So I, I think for a single night, it was, it was Owen at King of the Ring. Yeah, and he definitely benefits from the three matches in the King of the Ring format, but he delivers and it sets him up for the rest of his career. Yeah. Um, there is no really um, Owen Hart's, you know, superstar push without this night and he delivers. So I think it's fitting that he gets the performance of the year. All right. So next up, we have rookie of the year. And for to be considered for this, you had to have not been on any pay-per-views before this season. So this is getting a little tricky. Like, I'm curious if, if we're going to have years where there's no rookies. Uh, but for us, it's someone that we wouldn't have seen before in a previous season. And you and I both went with Lawrence Taylor. Like, to me, he had the best performance of anyone that had never wrestled prior to this on pay-per-view. Yeah, and it's not not even just the WrestleMania match, but also his performance ringside at Royal Rumble. Uh, he does pretty well, too. So, um, But he steps up to the big spot at WrestleMania in a main event and knocks it out of the park. So, rookie of the year, Lawrence Taylor in retirement. <laughs> Good for him. One, one and done. <laughs> one, one classic and done. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we have a couple of rate stats uh, to, to give out. So we have the most main events went to The Undertaker with two uh, in this year. So even his champion Diesel doesn't have any. And no one else, really. I mean, the King of the Ring, obviously, was Lawler and Piper. They don't main event. It's a weird year. Like, they don't main event again. You got Fake Taker and Yoko get main events. Obviously, you got the Rumble match. And then Bigelow and LT. So it's kind of all over the place. Um, so Taker wins most main events with two out of the five. Yeah, weird year where they try to close with the attraction. Yeah. Uh, most matches won is actually Razor Ramon. So he picked up uh, two wins at King of the Ring, win at SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and uh, that's it. That was five. So he actually loses the last two, but still picks up five out of these five out of seven. Yeah, big, big year for Razor Ramon. Big five spot. All right. Most title matches, we had a tie between Bret Hart and Diesel. Both had four title matches. Like, I mean, pretty obvious, I think. <laughs> when you look at yeah. it, right? uh, most matches lost 
was Bam Bam Bigelow with three. So he loses at King of the Ring at Survivor. Uh, no, he won Survivor Series. King of the Ring, the Rumble, and WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Uh, best crowd. Uh, we decided on Summer 794 at the United Center out of the five shows. Yeah, yeah. I was like, the more I think about it, I was really impressed with that crowd. Uh, it really stood out. And then our final two awards will be our all-star team and our all-loser team. So uh, this is the five guys that best and wor- you know worst performers of the season as consensus chosen by us, just purely based on, um, I guess, again, eye test enjoyment. We didn't really factor in as much like match creator metrics, right? It's just kind of like who are our top five. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the all-star team stands out pretty well. Do you want to read the five? Yeah, uh, we've got Bret Hart. Owen Hart, Diesel, Razor Ramon, and somehow Shawn Michaels. <laughs> I mean, he still, you know, had the Rumble performance. I know you yeah, shit on that, but <laughs> he had that. And he was really, really? good at ringside at SummerSlam. Uh, Survivor Series, he's, you know, he's a big component of that. So, I mean, is there anyone that wasn't on this list that you throw in? Um, I, I don't think so. I think, I do think if Jeff Jarrett had just one more stronger match, mm-hmm. um, you know, eyeballing maybe SummerSlam. Um, that really stands out as an opportunity. I don't think he's on the King of the Ring card. Yeah, he is. He loses. Oh, the he, kid. That's right. Um, but yeah, I think one more strong match could have got Jeff Jarrett in the conversation. But as it stands, um, Sean's deserving of that spot. I mean, it tells you, too, how little Backlund did outside of Survivor Series because yeah. that match alone should probably put him in consideration. But the Rumble's a far bomb for him, and then Mania sucks. Yeah. And he didn't do anything else before that. So he misses out. Um, you know, and even like Kid has that classic get King of the Ring, but then it's kind of gone. He doesn't really, I mean, actually, you know, he could have been, he, he might be the sixth man here because he's got the King of the Ring classic. He's part of that Survivor Series opener. He's fine there. But then he does have that pretty good Rumble, the tag title match at the Rumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's he's a fine alternate. Yeah. All right. Here's our all loser team. So the, the five guys that kind of were the worst of the worst. Uh, obviously, The Undertaker, uh, as we've noted, was our LVP and, and uh, Mendoza Award. IRS, who we've ranted on consistently, of just the most boring of boring matches. Uh, King Mabel, not quite King, yeah, but Mabel. Uh, you know, King of the Ring had that awful showing with IRS. SummerSlam, the stinker kind of with Jarrett. Survivor Series doesn't really do a ton in that match. He's got the fun little moment in the Rumble with Bundy, but again, just not much at all. And then Jerry Lawler, uh, mainly based on, of course, the King of the Ring mid event and Midgets at Survivor Series with the Clowns, which is just terrible. <laughs> it's uh, fine I match. think we, we debated Doink in this slot too, but he really only mm-hmm. has that and he doesn't do too much of the Rumble. So but we ended up going with Jerry, uh, with um, Rowdy Roddy Piper instead because he's got the terrible King of the Ring main event. And then he is just so obnoxious in that match of Mania that, <laughs> like, he, he's a big part of why that sucks, that match. So I think he's a pretty good fifth. And again, Doink is probably sniffing on the outside looking in. <laughs> Doink, we're in, the, we're in the alternate ready to get top of the game. But, yeah, I think that's a, that's a strong bottom five. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, if you have any uh, thoughts on those awards or you have any other choices that you think we bun- bungled or would have preferred uh, in this spot, let us know. Speak up and, and share those thoughts on our social media. And uh, that's a season of the books, Marcus. So what do you think? Should we be kind to the fans? Should we tease our next season or do you want to make it a surprise? What do you think? 
I'll let you decide. Um, I think we're gonna leave it up in the air. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you have to. Let's just say it's, it's, it's definitely diverged from this year. So it's it's away from this year a little bit. So we'll mix things up. But um, it was fun. I, I enjoyed digging into this season. It was a good one to get started and get our feet under us. I think with with some well known, well traveled uh, pay per views, and it was cool breaking them down and reliving them and uh you know just to kind of refresh our final rankings as of right now SummerSlam 94 Survivor Series 94 King of the Ring 94 Rumble 95 and WrestleMania 11 at the bottom so we'll see how long it stays in the final spot with the negative war yeah and I will say uh I guess I'll tip the hand a little bit uh we will be stepping out of the uh cartoonish world if you will and mm-hmm. be stepping into reality mm, with a big dose of barbecue sauce <laughs> oh so much <laughs> so much bbq all right you have been warred i don't know we didn't really figure that one out yet that's marcus i'm jt where i will talk to you in two weeks take care